glad that you are here. We're the real saints of God. We came over ice-covered roads. And I just hope you get home safe. Just get home safe in town. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, we welcome you again to Burlington Baptist Church. They have a gift for you out at the Welcome Center. I think it's a $1,000 gift certificate. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so if you'll go out there, there is a gift for you. And thank you for coming. Uh, I am beginning a new series today called Let Us Encourage One Another. And I did not know what a sermon bumper was till I came here and they taught me. That was a sermon bumper. <laughs> and the words to that sermon bumper, give life, speak life, are exactly what this series is all about. Look at the screen. We're going to talk about no discouraging words here. Everyone can encourage and everybody needs it. What does an encourager look like? And how do we encourage each other with our words? Wow. Now, we can never receive too much encouragement. I've never heard anybody say, enough encouragement. I've had enough. I've had it up to my ears in encouragement. No more encouragement already. Never heard a person say that. We can never give too much encouragement. And I pray that this series will help us to do a better job at it. Now, you do a great job at it, and the atmosphere here is wonderful. But let's learn how to do it even better. This is a good series for you to invite your unchurched friends. It's a non-threatening series. We're not going to talk about money. We're not going to talk about second coming. Uh, we're not going to talk about any of those issues. This is a non-threatening series for you to invite your unchurched friends. People have asked me down through the years, what was the key to the growth of First Church? Well, there was a lot of things. But the main thing was that they invited their friends. Ninety percent of the people who joined that church had been invited by somebody else. I would say the same stat holds true here, that most of you are here because somebody invited you. That's how you grow a church. So if you keep inviting and keep inviting, let's run this place, this place over. So use this series uh, to invite your unchurched friends to come. Today we're going to talk about more encouragement, please. Let's pray, and then we will get at it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open our souls and hearts to you today in worship and in praise. Thank you for the good worship service that we have had. And thank you that it helped us to just open our hearts and minds to receive you. And thank you, Father, that we can be together as a church family. And as Jesus was baptized, we too need the newness of life and rebirth that baptism symbolizes. For we have many needs, and we have behaviors toward others which look considerably less than baptism. So, Father, help us in this journey so that we can learn how to be better encouragers. Help us to be more generous in our words of encouragement and love and hope and faith. Now, Father, again, I ask you to be gracious and mercy to those whose lives have been disrupted by illness and uncertainty and death. Be with that family that's weak and mother that's ill, Miss Beale. 
be very close to them in the coming days. And Father, I pray that you would swing low over everyone here who is discouraged with life, so much so that they just want to throw in the towel and give in to despair. Help us to speak words of hope into their lives. Now pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear. Because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. There's a little book called uh, Children's Letters to God. And you know, when children talk to God, they're honest and they're authentic. They're not like the adults, you know. They haven't learned how to quote, unquote, pray or talk to God yet. And they're so authentic. Let me read you some of them. Dear God, in school they told me what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? Jane. Dear God, I read the Bible. She must have been reading the King James. Dear God. I read the Bible. What does beget mean? Nobody will tell me. Allison. (coughs) Dear God, are you invisible or is that just a trick? (laughs) Dear God, (laughs) is it true? Is it true my father won't go to heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? Dear God, I went to a wedding last night, and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Neil. Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, I'm really going to fix my brother, Dana. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. What I really prayed for was a puppy, James. Dear God, my brother's an absolute rat. You should give him a tail. Ha, ha, ha. Daniel, dear God, this is this this one this one resonates. Dear God, it's very is it very hard for you to love everyone in the world? Is it? There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Nan. <laughs> now, what would you say if you wrote a letter to God? In my case, and probably in your case, it's probably what is happening in our life. There are some days my letter would just be thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Or some days my letter would be like this week, why? Why John? Why Connie? Why Paula? Why that family in Richmond? Why? Why now? Why this? And then some days my letter would have one word, help, help. Ever had days like that? Just help. That's all you could say is help. Now, every Christian is susceptible to exhaustion, despair, and discouragement. And what happens when every Christian, when every Christian needs that, every Christian can inhibit, and it's called encouragement. Now, the anchor text (coughs) for this series is Hebrews, the 10th chapter verses 19 through 25. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you notice, I I use an abundance of translations, the one that says it best. Uh, So I'm going to use the New Living. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, 
Who can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus? By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is dawning. Let us encourage one another. Now, before we get down to the practice of encouragement, I've got to work through a couple of things before we get to the practice, according to the text. In the text, I want you to see the prelude to encouragement. The prelude to encouragement. Now, a prelude prepares the way for an important event. That's why Sandy sometimes plays a prelude before the worship service. That prepares us to get ready for what's going to happen. Now, the same thing is true here in the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews lays down this prelude that prepares us to practice encouragement. And if we do not understand the prelude, we will not understand the practice. Now, this is going to get a little heavy in theology. I hope you're awake this morning. The writer to Hebrews gives us two preludes. And without these preludes, we we could not, we could not encourage each other. We wouldn't even have access to God. So here they are. Number one, Jesus permanently opened the way to God. That's what the text says. When Jesus died on the cross, the gospel writers record that the curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place from the holy of holies, in the most holy place was where the cherubim was, where God's presence dwelt. And the whole the priest could only go into there, the high priest could only go in there once a year, and they were so afraid that if he died in there, they couldn't go get him, so they tied a rope around his legs so they could drag him out. This is true. And when Jesus died, that six-inch curtain was torn asunder from top to bottom, telling us that now we have access to God. We have direct access to God. Jesus has opened the way. The point is, Jesus' death on the cross made God accessible. Look at Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 from the good news. We have then, my brothers, complete freedom to go into the most holy place by the means of the death of Jesus. He opened for us a new, a living way through the curtain that is through his own body. The Hebrew writer is saying, now that Jesus has died, the way to God is open. Now you say, that is great. I have no right to stand before God. 
you, you just don't know what's going on in my past. You just don't know what's going on. I have no right to stand before God. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't care what's going on. He, <laughs> Hebrews gives us the second prelude. God warmly welcomes us into his presence. He not only opened the way, but he warmly welcomes us into his presence. It was like going home to my grandmother. My grandmother wanted me to come home far more often than I could. Are you a parent? You want your children to come home far more than they can. But you want them to come. And when you, you, you just can't wait for them to come. And, and, and when they come, it, it, it's wonderful. And when they leave, it hurts. Uh, to see them, see them go. But as a parent, we understand. We, we want to be in the presence of our children. God wants his children in his presence. Look at Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus' death permanently opened the way so that we Christians, understand this, this is awesome, we Christians can stand in the presence of a most holy God. And when we do, he does not see us. He does not see my filth. He does not see my hypocrisy. He does not, he does not see my bad attitude. He sees the blood of Jesus. Amen? And he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't see me at all. And because I stand in the robe of righteousness that my elder brother died to give me, I am perfectly acceptable in my father's eternal presence. Now, we need to be told that all the time because we don't believe it. We, do, we, do, we just do not believe it. It's hard for us to believe that sinners like us are warmly welcomed into the presence of a holy God. Now, you say, Eddie, that's pretty heavy theology for a cold winter morning. What on earth does that have to do with encouragement? Well, it has everything to do with encouragement. Because here we are reminded of what Jesus has done. And because we're reminded of what Jesus has done, the writer of Hebrews says, it should stir us into action. It should stir us into doing good stuff. The writer of Hebrews, all the New Testament writers, have told us what God has done for us. So now he says, because of what God has done for us, it ought to stir us into doing good deeds and, and encouraging us. You see, folks, good doctrine always leads to good action. Behavior always, let me back up, belief always leads to behavior, good or bad. Do you understand that? Good behavior leads to, good belief leads to good behavior. <clears throat> now, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews is a tough book to understand. I preached 43 sermons out of the book of Hebrews at First Church. I, it's a wonder they didn't find me. It, it is a hard book to understand. And all through these 10 chapters, they have been, the writer of Hebrews has been telling us what Jesus has done and now he says, this is what you should do. All right, are you with me? Are you with me? I know it's a cold morning. 
God, I have these preludes to encouragement. Jesus opened the way to God. Jesus warmly welcomes us into his presence. If that wasn't the case, <coughs> we, we couldn't practice encouragement at all. But then the principles of encouragement here. And these principles are words that you have heard all of your life. Draw near to God in faith. Now, you may not take that serious, but if you were an Old Testament saint, you couldn't approach God with that kind of confidence. Only the high priest, once a year, as I said, but we can go into the presence of God with the sure belief that we are always welcome. And I'll tell you, sometimes I have to sort of crawl into the presence of God because of something that I've done, something that I've said, bad attitudes. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? It's like your kid coming home after curfew. You know? You know exactly what I'm talking about. But even though I have to sometimes sort of tiptoe into his presence and say, God, I'm here, God welcomes us. I'm glad that I'm here. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is asking, are you being looked at in faith? See, after all that Jesus has done, are you drawing near to God in faith? He says, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we, now this, this, understand, this is great stuff. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence <clears throat> so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You can approach the throne of God in confidence. My question is, are you doing that? So we can approach God in faith. The second is another, the second principle is another word that you have heard all of your life. Stand firm in hope. Stand firm hope. See, what we've got to do, we have got to fill this place with faith, with the three, with the three fundamentals of Christianity. We, ju we just got to flood this place with faith and hope and then the love, the last one. A and when if, if we just baptize this place in faith and hope and love, encourage people in faith, in hope and in love, man, man. What a warm place this will be. Hebrews 10, 23. Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have. <clears throat> For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, Satan, <laughs> Satan is going to lie to you every day this week. And he's going to whisper in your ear, <laughs> who do you think you are? Do you, do you know what you did yesterday? Who do you think you are that you can approach a holy God? What? Who do you think you are like Judah? I read something that Greg Gill said. I think it's on the slide. 
He said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? Amen. When he does, cling to the hope that you're always welcome into the presence of God, even if sometimes we have to tiptoe into his presence, he still welcomes us. <coughs> so the principles are, draw near to God in faith, stand firm in hope, and then move ahead with love. You've heard these words all of your life, faith, hope, and love. Now, we have got to practice those if we're going to be a church that encourages one another. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, show love, and do good. Now, there are two challenges of this sermon, and there are two, there are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave. What did he say they are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the challenge. <coughs> when we get together, now, now, hang in here with me. We can practice faith alone. I think you would agree with that. We can practice hope alone, but we cannot practice love. Love is something that we do in the company of our brothers and our sisters. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. We're going to go a little deeper into that verse next Sunday. So the principle of filling this place with encouragement, what, what they're based on, encouragement's based on is faith, Hope and love. And only when we see how Jesus treated us will we see how serious it is to treat each other the way Jesus treated us. All right, now, all of that to say this. Now we're down to the practice of encouragement. How do we practice it? How do we fill this place with faith, hope, and love? Number one, focus on one another. Focus on one another. Two times in this text, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and let us encourage one another. Now, a lost concern for one another is a common symptom of a lazy church. I left First Church in 2010, and since then I preached in a lot of churches. I have preached in churches like Burlington where I thought, boy, I wish they hadn't asked me. And then I have preached in churches that I hope they never asked me to come back. Because they were lazy churches. You know how to tell a lazy church? I'll talk about this again next week. I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you again. They come in, they sit down. Not that this might not be as big a problem here, but it sure was with us at First Church of Christ. They come in and sit down and when it's over, go to the cars, never speak to anybody, and nothing happens. And the church just goes along like it's in a rut. And there's this laziness all about it. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, 
that lazy churches happen because we aren't concerned enough for one another. I preached in a church in Virginia, and by the time I got my stuff together and I went to the vestibule, nobody was there. Gone. Split. That was one of the churches I asked God not to send me back to. Didn't no concern for one another. Now let me let me let me say I believe it's necessary for churches to keep track of their members. And if I understand the deacon ministry right here, the deacons are assigned members of the church. Let me encourage you. If you are the focal point, keep in contact with those people. I used the Baptist deacon ministry at First Church for years and years and years and years. Our denomination didn't have one. I guess we didn't care about other people, but we didn't have one. And the Baptist had a great one, and I used it for years and years and years. We're going to, we divide them up, and we kept in contact. Just for, I, I, I understand that's what you do. That is important. That, that is a responsibility <clears throat> to show those that come here. We are concerned about you. And that's why church attendance is important. And thus, we always want to know how we're doing in that area. It's important, deacons, that you keep in contact. Well, <laughs> I was speaking. <laughs> I was speaking at a, at a church growth conference. And I have a lecture that I give on why Jesus wants the church to grow. And out of the book of Acts, I list all these numbers of how the church grew by the thousands and thousands. And, and I said, you know, we're interested in numbers because people are numbers and people represent numbers and numbers represent people. And I said, there's even a book in the Bible called Numbers. Well, after it was over, this guy came down the aisle. Now, I knew that inside out. He was so He was so tired, he just broke down. We're not interested in numbers. We don't take up any numbers. We think it is undoable to be concerned about numbers. People don't want to hear that. And you know, sometimes the Lord gives you a bad word. This was one of those days. I said, brother, let me ask you this. Do you count the offering in your church? He said, of course. I said, then that tells me, brother, that your church is far more interested in money than you are your members. Ka-ching! Thank you, Jesus. And he just sort of turned and walked away. He floated away. He was so tired. We count people because people are important to God. Amen. I make no apology for counting people. The New Testament never associates spiritual growth with staying away from meeting with your brothers and sisters. Now, we come here to worship. Dan and his group, boy, they had it on this morning, didn't he? I don't know how Danny got through that one song. He, he, Sounded like my auctioneer friend back there. But, he, but we come into this place 
and, and we, the worship is incredible and it takes us into the presence of God. But let me mess with your mind just a little bit. Let me mess with your mind. I can worship God and go into his presence every day of the week anytime I want to. Jesus has secured me that, that, that privilege. But one of the reasons, we're going to talk more about this next week. One of the reasons that I come here is not only to be led into the presence of God, but I come here to be with you as well. I come here to meet with you. Now, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you next week. If you come in here and you sit down and when it's over and you go out without talking to anybody, go to your car and go home and you don't interact with anybody, and then you say, well, I did what God commanded me to do. I went to church today. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. That is not what Hebrews says. Let us, not, not what it means when it says, let us not give up meeting together. When we come here, our focus is not only on God Almighty, but our focus is on one another. And we are to focus on one another because we need to practice Thoughtful obedience. Look at Hebrews 10.23. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Consider how we can then spur one another on toward good deeds. Now, we ought to give thought to what we say. I am the worst in the world. I can stick my foot in my mouth, bite my toes off, get me out. And there are times when I say the dumbest things people at church and I go home at night and it wakes me up and I think why did I say that that was so dumb it drives me nuts so you have we have to be thoughtful about that this lady went to the buy a card for a friend her friend was very ill very sick didn't know if she was going to live now she had to get some tickets but she was in a hurry and she picked up a card for someone who was retiring instead of a get well card. Now here's her friend in the bed, sick, dying, don't think she's going to get well. She opens this card from her friend and it says, goodbye from all of us. <laughs> That's not thoughtful encouragement. Let, let me tell you what happens to me. You know, Pastor Terry was not here the last Sunday of the year. He was away at a conference. Uh, pastors need to get away from pastors' conferences and revive themselves. So Pastor Terry was away at a conference. It was called Sick Conference. <laughs> that Sunday night, I get a text from him that says, I heard a lot of complaints about your sermon Sunday night. Well, it almost gave me a heart attack. I thought, what did I say? What did I do? And I said, I did something awful. And I said, well, I know the service was long, but what did they complain about? He texts me back and he says, oh, it was so embarrassing. Spell check, spell check. I meant compliment. I meant compliment. Well, say compliments, Jeff. Because you almost gave this old man a heart attack. <laughs> Folks, we need to give thoughtful encouragement because everybody here has a different need. 
and, and one God bless you, brother, doesn't fit everyone. We have to give thought to these things and take time to find out what's going on with God's people. Thoughtful encouragement is essential when we come to God. Now, let me tell you, this is the reason that I do not preach about a dog today. You say, well, I mean, you have a dog, chews your good cheese, it does the mess on the carpet. What do you need that for? Bad dog, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. There are heartaches on every road to life in this world. And I want to speak words of encouragement and strength into you and give you hope. And I refuse to preach bad dogs. You've had a tough week. Work has failed you. If you're in a, in a iffy marriage, mm, that could be hell on earth. You've been beat down at work. You've been beat down at this place. If you're on 18, you've been beat. You drive on 18, you get beat down. These people are crazy. And you do not need to come in here and hear a bad dog sermon from me. Bad dog, bad dog. I got in a lot of trouble down through the years because I, I, I didn't preach bad dog sermons. Dear Lord, I have a guy that used to whew, watch this like crazy. He'd come to Berlin Park. Uh, Brother Campbell, you don't preach enough of hellfire and damnation. You need to preach hellfire and damnation. You need to scare the you-know-what out of these people. And I did not do it. And I refused to preach it. You need to, you need to batter these dogs here in the congregation. You don't need to be beat down again. Thoughtful encouragement is essential when we come into God's house. So we must fill this place with faith and hope and love. Lazy churches become discouraged churches. So what do we do? What do we do? Have you ever been to a track meet and there was a father in the stands who was cheering on his son or daughter who were running the 440 or the 880? And that, that's, that's a tough race. And during the race, maybe their legs begin to, to give out on them and they begin to slow down. Did that dad stand up and say, okay, honey, you can stop. Just pull over, drop out of the race. No, 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 no. What did that dad do? That dad get up, stood up and he yelled the top of his voice so his kids could hear him. You can do it, honey. You can do it. Don't stop. Go. We love you. Go, go, go. And our loving God is, wants us to do that for each other. We need to be thoughtful, encouraging, so this place will be filled with faith and hope and love. And that's one of the reasons that we come to church. And I'm counting on you to do it. You do a marvelous job at it, but let's do it a little better. The challenge of this series is this. I'm added to God. Are you mad at me? I'm added to God. Oh, I believe that. But do you matter to me? Do I love you enough that you matter 
a story about a little kid who wanted a leading role in the school play. He wanted it so bad that his mom thought if he doesn't get a good part, he's just going to be so crushed. He's just going to be, he's just going to kill himself. That afternoon, he burst in the door and he said, Mom, 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 guess what? Guess what? Guess what, honey? What? I have been chosen to clap and cheer. I have been chosen to clap and cheer. I love the teacher who can make that seem like a role, a great role, because clapping and cheering is a great role. And the Bible says, all of us have been called to clap and cheer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be bold and aggressive and thoughtful and sincere about encouraging each other. I just pray that we would learn how to better fill this place with faith and hope and love. Thank you for the stewards here. Thank you for the camaraderie that's here. But help all of us to take serious and to realize that we can minister to one another as much in the hall, the Sunday school room, in the vestibule, around the coffee table, and in the parking lot as we can from the pulpit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, today, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you. Come on, if you're just here, I wish I could make it for you. If, I, I wish I could make it for you because I want you to go to heaven. I started out in ministry. Somebody asked me, why are you doing this? I want to.